0: Hey, it's Kevin here. I just want to pause and say thank you so much for joining us online today. You've joined us in a series in the book of First Thessalonians. If you haven't yet, you can listen to all of our messages at thrivechurch.me or if you haven't done this yet, download our app. Now on to today's message. Well, Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? A little all right. all right. Not, not so bad. Some of you still are waking up. I'm still waking up. I've had... This cold brew nitro thing from Starbucks this morning, and it is still just not really kicking in just yet. So maybe by the time we get done with this message, I'll actually be slightly more awake than I was earlier today. Now, if you're just joining us here at Thrive, we are wrapping up our series in the book of First Thessalonians. So if you have your copy of God's Word, you can go ahead and turn to First Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, I don't know if you guys are anything like me, but when I was growing up, I was really into chess. Was anybody really into chess or is really into chess? Just a few few hands I see. For some reason, it's kind of weird, right? A young person being really into chess. But the reason behind this was because when I was in fifth grade, we actually did a unit on chess, believe it or not. And what they did was they made our entire fifth grade watch this movie called Searching for Bobby Fischer, if you've ever heard of this movie called Searching for Bobby Fischer. And what it was is this movie about this child prodigy uh, in chess. So as a kid watching this, I was thinking, man, I could be that. I wasn't, but I could be that. I could be a prodigy in something. I could be good in, in chess. So what we did in our fifth grade is we had little mini tournaments and we had bragging rights on who did the best within the class. And then we even did tournaments over the entire fifth grade. So we had class bragging rights over who was the best class, who was the best in chess. And I was okay. I I got it more than most of them, I think. And I won a lot of times while we were doing this. I loved chess. And I think that the reason that I loved playing chess is that because it was so peaceful. Some of you might be thinking that's weird, because you have to use so much of your brain while you're doing it, it might be stressful. But for me, it was so peaceful. You could be in silence. I love silence. I love silence. So you just get to sit there and no one says a word. I mean, it's not like, it's not like checkers where it's just chaos, just bouncing all over the place. You don't know what's happening because people are moving so quickly. And it's just, it, it just blows your brain trying to play checkers. I like chess so much more. And the funny thing is, I started to realize I don't actually know how to play checkers. Like, I have no clue what I'm doing when it comes to checkers. I know chess, but I have no idea what I'm doing when it comes to checkers. Elizabeth and I like to take our family to Cracker Barrel every now and then. And if you've ever been to Cracker Barrel, you know what I'm talking about. You walk in, what do they have? They have this oversized checkers board. Right, you know what I'm talking about? It, like the mat looks like it was like handcrafted, knitted by some Amish lady in like in her home, made specifically just for that particular Cracker Barrel, right? And then the pieces are oversized, and it's all sitting on top of this like wooden log that somebody went out in the middle of California and chopped down or something like that. You know what I'm talking about with this? if you've been to Cracker Barrel. So what happens is when we get there, the first thing our kids do is they go and they run towards this game. You know, and they sit down, and it's like I said, it's chaotic. They have no idea what they're doing. They just take all the pieces, and they start jumping around, because that's all they know what to do. And eventually, they they want to figure it out. They want to know, how are we supposed to properly play this game? And they say, Daddy, do you know how to play this? Can you show us how to play this? I'm like, bro, I have no clue how to play this game. It stresses me out just looking at it. I know how to play chess. I know that in chess, each individual piece has a specific purpose. Each individual piece has a specific function. So you have your pawns, right? They have their their purpose, You have your knights, you have your king, queen, you have all the other pieces. They have specific purposes that are just for those pieces. And my basic understanding of checkers is all the pieces do the same thing. They're all basically the same. They all move the same. Now, I don't know what your interaction with chess or with checkers is like. Maybe... You grew up playing one or the other. Maybe you were a child prodigy when it came to playing one of these games. Maybe you were a rock star when it came to chess. I don't know. But what I do know is this, and this is critically important. When it comes to life and people, working with people is much more like playing chess than it is playing checkers. That's because everybody's different. No one is the same. Everybody has to be interacted with differently. And if you're a parent of multiple kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All your kids are totally different from each other. You have to discipline them differently. You have to treat them differently because they're made differently from each other. Our oldest, Mason, when he was younger and he would get in trouble... All we had to do was just point our finger, say, hey, stop that. You know what I'm talking about. And then he would just look at us, and he'd bust out in tears. He'd just cry, and that's all we did. And eventually we just got to a point where all we had to do was go, eh, you know, eh. And he would stop, he'd look at you, and he'd cry. That's how he was made. He was sensitive. He, He was made to be a people pleaser. He didn't want to disappoint you. So this is how he reacted when he thought he disappointed you. Super easy growing up with him. (laughs) Super easy. Our middle son, Caleb, totally different. And he was hilarious. We'd get onto him and we'd say, hey, Caleb, stop that. And he would do this. He would just, he'd close his eyes (laughs) like he just fell asleep. And we had no idea why he would do that. You'd sit there and you'd like do this in front of his face. Like, did he fall asleep? I think he fell asleep. I don't know. And looking back on it now, I'm starting to realize that what I think he was doing was he thought that if he couldn't see us, we couldn't see him. And that's how he dealt with punishment. And then there's Oliver, our youngest. And he's just the wild card out of, All three of our kids. I mean, you look at him. When he does something wrong, like, hey, Oliver, stop that. And he'll just stop. He'll look at you, and he'll just give this devious grin. Like, what are you going to do about it, old man? (laughs) To which you're kind of like, that's all I got. I don't know. No one's ever made me do more than this. I have no clue how I'm supposed to react right now to you just being this way. We had to discipline each one of our kids completely differently because they were different people with different personalities. And how we treated one wasn't going to work with how we treated the others. You have to interact differently with them. It's more like a game of chess than it is checkers. They don't move the same way. And as a matter of fact, when it comes to your job, you know that what makes a good leader great When they're a boss, whether they're a supervisor or a teacher, what makes them great is when they approach an organization like a game of chess instead of a game of checkers, meaning they know how to use people to their benefit, right? They see what their strengths are. They meet them where they're at, and they know that the whole organization will benefit if they meet them where they're at, and they use their strengths instead of treating them exactly the same way that they treat every other person within the organization. And today, as we're finishing this letter that Paul wrote to a small church in Thessalonica, we know that this this area, this, this church, was in a small metro area, and it was a trade route, which means it was completely diverse. Lots of different backgrounds, lots of different people there. We know that the faith community, the church itself, was full of different personalities, different people. But as we finish this letter today, I want you to see something important. Paul is covering how they must all work together. And what you see here is that Paul is urging all the people in this faith community to view their church, to view their faith community more like chess than checkers. So let's jump in at verse 12. It says this, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. Now he starts into this chess piece game. Check out the different people who are part of their faith community. Continuing on with verse 14. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Paul says at one point in this faith community, in this church, at any point, you're going to have people who are leaders. You're going to have people who are lazy within your community. You're going to have people who are timid. You're going to have people who are weaker than you. Everyone is going to need something different. And Paul knew that the power of being a chess leader versus a checkers leader was substantial. And here's what we have to learn today. 2,000 years after this letter was written. This final passage gives insight into what makes a healthy faith community. What makes a healthy church? And if you have your notes handy, you can write this down. This is our big idea for today. A healthy faith community is more like chess than checkers. A healthy faith community is more like chess than checkers. I want us to understand today what makes a healthy church or a healthy faith community, and this principle that I'm sharing with you today will not only help you within the context of your faith, it will help you within the context of your relationships, with your family, with your friends, in your workplace, because God has wired each one of us differently from each other. We all have this unique DNA within us. What excites or depresses you isn't going to necessarily excite or depress the person that is sitting next to you. See, Elizabeth and I, we like to go to Target. We love going to Target. That's what we do for fun. I don't know what it is about when when you get married, but all of a sudden, like, the moment you get married, the switch comes on, and all of a sudden, you really like Target. You really like spending time there for no reason other than it's just something to do. And you really like watching HGTV. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, you find yourself walking around Home Depot, stopping, going, oh, my goodness, That fern would look great with the azaleas in the back. We should get it. (laughs) We love going to Target, though. We absolutely love it. Now, what would excite me more than anything in this world would be if we had a list of things that we needed before we walk in. We go find said things on list. We promptly leave, and then we end up only spending $25 that would excite me more than anything. And I know that this doesn't excite Elizabeth because we don't ever do this. Like we say we're going to do this. And then what happens? You end up spending 30 minutes in the dollar section, like finding a bunch of things that you don't really need. Like now we have like a, a paper pumpkin placemat. Why do you need this? We don't need this. That would make me so happy if we didn't have to do this. But what makes her happy is to shop in this area. And then, of course, what happens? We end up leaving and we spend closer to $100. If you can leave Target and spend less than $100, please find me after this service because I want to glean all of this information from you and figure out what it is that we're doing wrong and you're doing right. What excites me or depresses me is not the same as what excites other people. And anyone who has ever impacted the lives of other people knows that when you're dealing with people, it's going to look a lot more like chess than checkers. And that's especially true within the local church. The evangelist and author John Ortberg actually wrote a book called Everyone is Normal Until You Get to Know Them, meaning everyone has a story that is unique to them. So we should get to know them. We should take time to listen. Everyone has something that they have had to overcome in their lives. Take time to get to know them. Everyone is healing from something in their lives. Everyone has experienced pain and hurt. Listen to those people. And everybody has issues. And that means everybody that comes on stage, we all have issues. They're all different issues. It's what makes us unique. But we all have issues. And this is so important today that we understand this. Not only for our church, but for our lives. Because if we don't understand the chess versus checkers principle, we're going to end up treating everybody the exact same way. We will accept, expect the same from every single person that we encounter in our lives. We'll end up talking to people when all they really want is for us to just listen. Or we're going to be too quiet when all they really want is for you to just give them some advice. And you know this. If this happens at your job, your family, or with your children, or even at church, you're going to find yourself able to help less people, and you might even find yourself alienated from other people because you're treating them more like checkers instead of chess. I mean, can you imagine going to a doctor that only prescribes Tylenol for literally every single sickness, every disease? every ailment. No, you wouldn't go to a doctor like that. That would be a horrible doctor. Because you want to go to a doctor that's going to listen to what your problem is and will prescribe what you need personally for your own life. Now, I've been under checkers, leaders before, where they literally just tell you the same thing every single time you see them. Oh, you're doing fine. You're doing a good job. You just keep on doing what you're doing. And I've been under people who... Treated everybody more like chess pieces, where they call you to a higher standard. They They know how to speak to you personally. They know how to talk to you, what makes you tick. They know how to treat you. I've had teachers in the public school system that have been more like chess leaders, that called me to a higher standard. And I mean, that's why I'm where I'm at today, because there was somebody willing to put the time and effort in to get to know me and also push me past my comfort zone. Each person is different. And I like what Jude said in the Bible. Jude was a first century follower of Jesus, and he wrote a short letter to other first century believers who were not living in line with what the scriptures were saying. So let's take a look at his approach in Jude chapter 1. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. I mean, you can see his chess and checkers approach here. There are some people that you have to be kind, you have to be tenderhearted with when you're confronting them or when you're talking to them about something. That's how they're going to respond. And then there are those that, You have to be extremely direct with them, otherwise they will not listen to you. If you're too kind and too tenderhearted, they're going to shut you out because they do not respond to that kind of talking. And today you're probably asking, why do we need to know this? What's the purpose? Why do I need to know anything about this chess versus checkers mentality? Write this down in your notes. This is your next step. Everyone has a different part to contribute to create a healthy church everyone has a different part to contribute to create a healthy church you are a chess piece you add value to this faith community you add value to this church in a very tremendous way every one of you has something different to offer and that's why it's so important for you to get involved with a small group or to get involved with a serve team because you have something to add to this church, to this faith community. You have something to contribute. And we use this illustration quite a lot within our own our staff here at Thrive. And it's this illustration where we're looking at Nehemiah. See, Nehemiah was tasked with rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem. And if you've ever read Nehemiah, you know that there's a lot that goes into this. And if you get to chapter three, you actually might stop listening a little bit because there are so many gates and so many names for these gates so many responsibilities each section of the wall had a different gate and a different name you had the sheep gate you had the east gate you had the dung gate which i imagine would have been a very horrible horrible job to have but not wanted to have that one but one thing that you notice when you're reading all of this everyone had a part when it came to rebuilding the wall Men, women, children. Each person had something to contribute in the rebuilding of this wall. They wanted to rebuild it so that Jerusalem could be protected. And so that they could continue to worship God. I mean, that should be the picture here at Thrive. That should be the picture of every local church. So here are three thoughts from the passage that we've been reading that we can contribute to our local church, to our faith community. Here's what we can contribute. The first is this. Honor those who carry the burden of leadership. Now, this is a very weird thing for any one of us in ministry to talk about. Like, you should honor me. Like, it's really weird to say this, but we didn't write this. (laughs) This isn't Thrive's handbook. This is Paul saying this. Because one of the attributes of a healthy church is this idea of honoring. So let's look at what Paul says. Verse 12. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. Now first off, and this is super, super important for everybody here. Make sure you find a leader who's worth following. Make sure you find leaders worth following. If you don't like or trust the leader of your local church, the first thing you need to do is go find a different church and find somebody that you do find worthy of you following. And then when you find that, honor those people. I've worked at regular jobs before, And I'll say this, and this is what a lot of other pastors have to say. Ministry is one of the hardest jobs I have ever done. It's one of the hardest jobs. And I, I've met people who think it's cushy, right? Like, what do you do all week? They think it's cushy, but it's not. It takes such a toll on you mentally. It takes a toll on you spiritually. It is completely draining It's rewarding, 100% rewarding, but it is draining at the same time. I had a professor in college that on the first day of class, he looked at all of us really seriously, and he said, if you can do anything else in this world, if you're good at literally anything else, go do that. Go do that thing. I mean, this is a religion class. First day, full of people looking to get into ministry. And this guy's telling us to go find something else to do. And he says this, if you are not called to ministry, this will kill you. It will eat you alive. So if you can do anything else, if you're not called to this, go find something else to do. Because when you compare hours, you compare pay, you compare benefits with other jobs, most church staff make less than minimum wage. I mean, and they work a ton of hours. It's not just a regular nine to five job. Elizabeth always says it is a 24-7 job, 24-7. And the staff here at Thrive, they're great, fantastic. Every single person here puts their hearts, and souls into what they are doing. There's a burden for the spiritual lives of those who are in leadership in a church. This burden that keeps them awake at night. This burden for reaching those who are not in a relationship with Jesus. And I'll say this. This is not a problem for you guys here. Legitimately. Thank you guys so much for honoring the leadership of this church. You guys have literally been fantastic. We're preaching to the choir today when we talk about this. You guys already know this aspect. Many pastors and staff, they feel underappreciated when they work in a church. We don't feel that here. Thank you guys so much for just being that to us. The second thing that we can contribute is this. Be honest with people so they can get real help. Being loving to someone doesn't mean you just overlook everything. Paul shows them how to be a community of chess versus checkers. In verse 14 it says, Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. So we confuse being loving with being passive, that's not true. Paul tells them to warn those who are lazy and encourage those who are timid and to take care of those who are weaker than them. In our context, this means in a loving way, it's important that we are honest to people. Healthy churches talk to people. They don't talk about people. Healthy churches talk to people in love to help them take next steps. Saying, I know you are created for more than where you are right now. I am calling you to a higher place. I am calling you to take your next step. Because everybody, no matter who you are, where you are in this life, you have a next step in your faith walk. Healthy churches help people take next steps. And it's up to us to really help other people. And finally, here's what we all can contribute to a healthy church. Be joyful, be prayerful, and thankful. And this might actually be the secret sauce, so to speak, to what a healthy church looks like. And this is what Paul says in verse 16. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. I think we would all agree that the best people to hang around are those who are this way. Joyful, prayerful, and thankful. We've all been around those who are not this way. They find anything and everything to complain about. Everything is always just the worst. It's always so terrible. It's too hot outside. It's too cold outside. I don't like sunshine. I don't like rain. I don't like anything. And what happens when they walk into a room, they bring the mood down. and Nobody wants to be around them. On the flip side, those who are joyful, thankful, and prayerful, they brighten up every room that they walk into. They're great people to be around. They change the room when they walk into it. And see, there are two different types of people in this room. There are those of us who are thermostats or thermometers. See, a thermometer reflects the environment that they're in, they don't change the heat, they don't change the air, they only reflect. What's going on around them? A thermostat, however, reads the environment and changes it. Let's be thermostats. Let's continue to be a healthy faith community where people can find their place in God's kingdom. Let's honor each other. Let's be honest with each other. Let's call each other to a higher standard. Let's be joyful, prayerful, thankful because of what Jesus has done for all of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this love that you have for all of us. We thank you so much that You hand this love out freely even though we don't deserve it. We all fall short of your glory. We don't measure up. But still you say that you love us. Help us to rise up to a higher standard. To aspire to be a healthy church one that talks to people, not about people, one that honors each other, one that is always joyful and thankful, remaining in prayer at all times. Help us to be a light that shines your name into this world, that draws other into a relationship with you. We thank you so much for your grace. And while we're praying, if there's someone in this room that's not in a relationship with Jesus but wants to today, wants to commit their life today, just pray this prayer after me. Father, I know that I have sinned. I know that I fall short of your glory in every way. But I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for me, to take my sins upon him. I believe that he rose again three days later, that death was defeated. And I accept you today into my life. Thank you, God, for your love, grace, and mercy. And it's in your name that we all pray. Amen. Can we put our hands together for those of you who made that decision today?